episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sandborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today. So before we get started with today's events, I have uh, two things to say that I didn't warn you about before we started. Uh, number one is happy summer. Uh, the summer solstice was yesterday, so spring is officially over. Uh, and the second thing is that we should acknowledge today is the anniversary of of a very special day. Um, one year ago, June 21st, 2019, the Montreal Canadiens selected Cole Caulfield with the 15th overall pick. And I was trying to figure out how to get the audio from that selection to run and surprise you that way, but I couldn't figure it out. So uh, just me talking. Okay. Well, uh, happy Coleversary. Um, I guess that's what we'll call it. And uh, nice. It's been a year. Uh, and uh, the excitement, I'd say, is just as high for this guy. Happy summer! We're finally into the swing of things, uh, and uh, yeah, let's get let's get right into the news uh, with our first topic. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happened this week uh, in the hockey world, and so the first one uh, is it has to do with different announcements that have to do with uh, just the reopening of the league. So you want to get into that? Yeah, well, it wasn't it wasn't explicitly to do with the reopening of the league because apparently the league's plans haven't changed at all, despite the fact that. Three players on the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, who we don't know who they are, plus eight more around the league, including Austin Matthews, as reported uh, quite recklessly, I would say, by Steve Simmons, um, all tested positive for COVID-19. The NHL reportedly tested 200 players and 11 of them uh, came back positive, which I think is kind of uh, proportional to the testing for the whole population. But nevertheless, I think this only reinforces the notion uh, that a lot of us had kind of been trying to sweep under the rug and forget about that coming back for the NHL uh, this summer is probably a bad idea for the health of the players. Yeah, it's pretty alarming. I mean, uh, I think we've all been under the, like sort of like the, 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 the COVID alarm, the alarming nature of COVID has kind of gone down, right? As we get used to it, we're like, I think today's like the hundredth day of quarantine. And so, you know, just overall, uh, I think we're all like, we're not nearly as panicked as we were a hundred days ago. And I think that we've kind of let our guard down and we thought, you know, uh, the NHL players and, and sports players in general, uh, you know, there's a sort of, you know, a, a sort of immunity that we kind of associate, associate them. And when we see numbers uh, like this, you know, 11 cases, uh, it really shows that this disease has not gone away. It doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. It's just, uh, it's just we've kind of gotten used to it, but but still, you know, you, you, you see a name like Austin Matthews, and and you know, honestly, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of reckless. I just want to point out, like Steve Simmons, uh, that kind of reporting, that kind of journalism, we don't really need to know, okay? Like, yes, we it, it is news that uh, eleven players got COVID, but we don't need to know if it was Austin Matthews. Uh, while it is, you know, flashy headlines whatsoever, this is some guy's private medical records. Um, yes, he's a superstar. No, that doesn't give you, you know, that doesn't make it right to go and just like kind of put this news out there, uh, with, you know, big clickbaity title. So not, we didn't really need to know that it was Austin Matthews, but still, uh, 11 players get COVID and, you know, we don't know the long-term effects 
of having of, of catching COVID. Obviously, there's the risk of death, but you know, with, with this kind of age demographic, it's not such a huge risk. But still, uh, this disease attacks the lungs, and who knows what kind of long-term side effects it could have for for just one player. You know, all it takes is one player, and you, you see, like, if it is Austin Matthews, and this guy has, you know, I don't know, asthma. Uh, as we don't know that we don't know the long term side consequences of catching COVID, uh, even if it's not everybody, even if it's just some, uh, I don't know if I don't know if it's worth the risk of having all sports open up. It's not just hockey that has this kind of problem. Uh, we saw in the NFL, we see a number of NFL players, uh, another superstar in the NFL as well, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, who's a superstar running back for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, we saw him catch COVID, and so we see all across the sports spectrum. Um, these players catching COVID and it really puts into question, you know, is it worth it? Uh, and to, to put these players health at risk, uh, for our entertainment at this time. I would say it isn't worth it. And if the NHL does end up coming back, I'm going to have a very hard time enjoying it because of that, because I know that it's, uh, extremely likely that at least you know a couple of them are going to get sick unnecessarily just because i mean we already we're already going to we're going to have players in this tournament who are recovering from covid-19 hopefully recovering um if if the nhl allows them to show up which i mean i mean i i haven't really thought about this but i guess it's possible i don't think the nhl would do it to say all right if you've had covid-19 then uh we're we're not allowing you we're not letting you play in this tournament. Uh, I really don't know about how all that's going to work. That's a lot the NHL has to work out that, of course, we've talked about. You know, they're just kind of trying to sweep under the rug. But the other thing, I saw this diagram. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily based in any any real numbers, but it kind of showed how, like, in the middle of March, when this quarantine kind of started, the danger of COVID-19 was, well, it was pretty high, of course, but the, the concern about it kind of uh, matched it. And now the danger is arguably even higher and the concern is like extremely low, especially in the United States, because for some reason, everyone just it seems like they're just getting bored of it and deciding that they don't feel like taking precautions anymore, which is, of course, extremely dangerous and is going to be very deadly in the long term. Yeah, it's a pandemic, people wake up. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been a long time. Understandably, we're all kind of sick of the quarantine, but, you know, it's better to be sick of the quarantine than to be sick of COVID. Uh, so, you know, just... It's, I, I still got my guard up, but I, I understand, you know, the, just the, the restrictions are kind of relaxing, but yeah, it is important to keep aware. And, you know, frankly, I don't understand what this, you know, the morals of opening sports so early. I don't know why there's this huge rush. I understand, obviously there's the money side of things, but just morally, you know, like it's, it's, what is it? It's just pure entertainment. We don't really need sports. I understand it's extremely entertaining. I love it just as much as YouTube, but you know, it's just, uh, it really is just like an entertainment thing. And to risk these people's lives, their families' lives, I really, I really have a problem with it. And like you, if they do come back, any sports comes back uh, in this calendar year and beyond, depending on how, you know, how, you know, the, the numbers go, I, I'm going to have a real problem with this because you're going to see if when they do open up, I'm almost certain you're going to see one of the major leagues uh, you know, you're going to see some sort of, you know, outbreak. And we see here, obviously they haven't, you know, gone into the bubble yet. None of them have. Uh, and, you know, the NHL players are allowed to mingle within the population. But still, everybody's taking these sort of precautions, I hope. And even then, we see 11 cases. 11 cases, not just in one team, right? Obviously, some of them 
were were on on Tampa Bay. Uh, number, multiple were, but as we see, it wasn't just on Tampa Bay. It was on in different cities, uh, different players getting it, and that's what's concerning, right? It's popping up in different places, which means that you know it's not just okay one cluster of players they they went for training and they all caught it because one guy had it. No, it's different players in different cities catching it on separate occasions, uh, and just goes to show how contagious the disease is and how it has not gone away yet. And I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. So the NHL should seriously take a look, a hard look. And this is just not just the NHL, any sports league. Take a hard look at coming back uh, because this kind of thing is inevitable, honestly, with this pandemic. We talked a little bit, I think it was last week, about um, players maybe not wanting to come back because they don't want to put their health at risk, understandably. Um, No one's really, no one in the NHL has really said anything out loud about that. Nick Foligno, and I think I mentioned this, a couple other players maybe said stuff about not wanting to potentially be away from their families for a couple months at a time, which is another very viable reason to not want to participate in this this NHL tournament that's being discussed. Roman Polak actually also said, well, this was a separate thing. He signed a three-year deal in the Czech League, so he's not coming back to the NHL next year. But he basically said he doesn't want to come back to the Dallas Stars to finish the season and if they make him come back, he will. But I think he said it would be like prison. I think that was the translation. So no no one in the NHL has really said that health concerns is the reason for them not wanting to come back. But I, I have a hard time believing that no one has that concern, especially these uh, immunocompromised players. We've talked about Max Domi, Luke Cunning, Capo Caco all have um, diabetes. So I can't help but think that the NHL is just trying to really keep these concerns that players probably have on the low and don't want them getting out into the public? I, I mean, I think the players should be concerned, especially if you're a young player. Um, because, you know, we're talking about, and you're a young superstar, for example. Uh, I mean, you've got millions and millions of dollars ahead of you uh, in your career. And are you going to risk that uh, for one playoff run when you've got many, many ahead of you and you're going to put your, you know, if, if you do catch COVID, your lungs at risk? I really, and even your life at risk, you know, your career. Anyways, so many things going on. Uh, so yeah, I think the players should absolutely be concerned. Uh, and I just think, I just think it's interesting that you know we see concerns out of basically every other league uh, from the MLB. We see NFL concerns, we see NBA concerns. Uh, but I, I don't know what it is about hockey. Is, is it the hockey culture? You know, like you know, keep it down for the team. You know, I don't wanna, I wanna, I wanna stick it out, uh, and I wanna, you know, go for that cup. Is that a hockey mentality? I don't know what it is, uh, but you know, frankly, it's 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 kind of you know eye popping just the fact that really you only see a handful of players. You know, as you mentioned, uh, your your Roman Polak and your Nick Foligno, but but even then, you know, I just it's not really a health thing, uh, and I'm kind of surprised nobody's really brought it up. They all seem to be fine with the risks, and you know, with the money at stake for these guys. I'm kind of surprised that, that we haven't seen nearly as much pushback as we have to the NHL's plan from the players. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Well, I was just going to say something else. I kind of lost my train of thought. Yeah, that's what I was saying about there probably is a lot of concern that just hasn't gone public. I mean, that's that's just my assumption because, I mean, especially now, maybe it's ramped up a little bit with these 11 cases and also there's like a name to one of them. Maybe there's probably a lot more concern now, even if it's just internally between the players. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think this this these instances definitely make it more real, right? And I think it made it a lot more real for for just the hockey world in general, right? 
you know, you think, oh, it's a, it's a disease, it's a pandemic, yeah, it's huge, but, you know, not everybody's going to get it. Well, there you go, 11 players in different cities and, you know, one big name among them, Austin Matthews, obviously. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and it's something I'm definitely going to keep an eye on. Uh, do, do players come out with statements, you know, I don't want to go, we're worried about our health because we haven't seen that from the players. Uh, and, yeah, I think, I mean, look, it took me aback. I didn't expect it to be so fast. I mean, we just started with phase two of the NHL reopening plan. And just like that, we see a number of cases. Um, I didn't think it would come this early, but it just goes to show how contagious this disease is. And, you know, we need to be on our toes. Uh, and, yeah, they, I just it's, it's really alarming uh, when they just announced these dates and all of a sudden you see 11 cases pop up. Uh-huh. Uh, is it time for a hard pivot? Are we done with this? We're going to pivot real quick into the Sabres. Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. All right. So, uh, uh, not we're working on those those transitions there, but uh, basically, uh, the big piece of actual ice hockey news, not to do with the disease, was to do with the Sabres, especially Jason Botterill, who was their GM, was fired about three weeks after Kim Pagula gave him a total vote of confidence, claiming that he is their their GM of the future. And then, uh, yeah, three weeks later, he's gone. They replaced him with Kevin Adams who doesn't have any front office experience, but has been working with the Sabres for, what was it, 10 years, I think. And they also hired, like, I don't remember the exact number because there was, like, they weren't sure if, like, some other, some people were fired. It was about 20 other names that the Sabres uh, got rid of. So they're basically totally overhauling their front office about, what is it, maybe, like, six or seven months away from playing any hockey games. So, I mean... Firing Jason Botterill was probably the right thing to do. I think a lot of Sabres fans were kind of, you know, after two years or two, not not such a long run there, but they were not very impressed with his work. So so he's out of there. But the, but the fact that they gave him the vote of confidence and then three weeks later got rid of him, most Sabres fans, even if they wanted him gone, were still not very impressed with the way they did it because of that. Because, like, it just seems like it just amplifies the dysfunction of the Sabres, who I would say are honestly... They're, they're giving the Senators a run for their money for most dysfunctional team in the NHL these days. Oh, my God. I mean, I couldn't believe it. It's like even when they make the right move, Bottle absolutely should have been fired. I said it three weeks ago when they gave them that endorsement. But when they do make the right move, they somehow, they, they, they fumble it. They score it up. And this is how they did it, okay? Like, I cannot believe. Three weeks ago, they endorsed this guy. And then, just like that, they fired him. I mean, what a walking, talking clown show this organization is. It can't get its head together. can't get its shit together. And, I mean, it's just, it's wild. It's wild. I mean, this kind of dysfunction, I mean, absolutely it gives Ottawa a run for its money. Because, I mean, at least Ottawa's made the playoffs in the last, like, nine years, which Buffalo hasn't. Uh, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's year after year. Every single decision this team makes is absolutely dead wrong. Even hiring Jason Botterill was a mistake. If you look at his moves, they were total disasters. Uh, and you have your superstar center, Jack Eichel, and you just can't seem to put any sort of uh, competence around him in terms of roster building. Uh, and with these management moves, it's just, I don't know what's happening. It's just, uh, I, I didn't know it was possible to screw up this often. I mean, just firing Jason Botterill. Absolutely makes sense. But three weeks after you endorsed the guy and said he would absolutely be back for next year, I don't think so, man. And and that just that doesn't even go into, you know, I think they fired like the vast majority of their scouting staff. Scouting staff. I mean, that's just, that's another, what the hell kind of move is that? We don't know when the draft is going to be, but we have to assume it's in like, it's going to be in the next, I don't know, three, four months. 
Uh, and it doesn't look like they've hired anybody to replace them. So are you going to go with seven guys in your scouting staff uh, to, to come up with seven, like to scout everybody? I mean, it just makes absolutely no sense. Uh, if it's to save money, I mean, they talked about like when they bought the team, the Pugula said, you know, money is of no concern. Uh, and they went and they spent their money on players that didn't deserve to be spent, to have that money spent on them. Uh, and then now they look like they're just, they just cut everybody in order to save a bunch of money while hockey isn't being played. And it's just, yeah, it's crazy. It's just bonkers to me to fire 20 something people when you don't know when the draft is, but presumably like the season's basically almost over. Like you're going to have the playoffs, but you didn't even make the playoffs in a 2014 format. Uh, you, I mean, you missed out to the Habs, a team that was not a playoff team at all. Uh, so yeah. It's just, it just seems like with every decision, kind of like the Senators, at every turn, they take the wrong one. That's what it is. And, uh, I mean, this is just another one. I cannot believe. Uh, they just they, they managed to find themselves in the headlines for all the wrong reasons yet again. I mean, we talked about, the last time we talked about them was, oh, my God, they're keeping Jason Barrow. What a bunch of fools. And now it's, uh, you know, now it's this. So uh, just it's just this organization is an absolute train wreck. Uh, and it just seems like it always has. And uh, the saga continues, just like in Ottawa. Two things I want to say. Uh, first, I don't know if we've actually talked about this, but um, the day the NHL was canceled, on March 12th, the Habs were scheduled to play the Sabres that night. And if the Sabres won, and say the NHL was canceled the next day, the Sabres would have been that last spot in the plane, and the Habs would have been on the other side of it. So uh, that's been brought up a little bit. I think like I think Rasmus Ristolainen actually mentioned it in an interview. So it was just kind of kind of funny that he brought it up. He's still thinking about that. Anyway, the other thing I want to say, which is kind of more on topic, is that as you mentioned, this really reeks of trying to save money because obviously they'll be without ticket revenue for what nine to ten months, which is a very long time. So they're maybe thinking like if we can cut corners and just have like minimal people working for us over this extended period of time as few people as possible that we have to pay that i mean we'll save money in any way we can but i mean like i mean if you don't want to have anyone working in your front office during the during your off season then uh i mean do you do you i guess go for it but i don't think it's such a great strategy and in terms of the guy that replaced jason botterill kevin adams um, I had never heard of him. Most people had never heard of him. I think even like most Sabres fans had never heard of him. Pretty sure he was, he won a Stanley Cup with Carolina. He had an NHL career. I haven't looked into it, but he did play in the NHL. Anyway, um, the concern that a couple people were talking about were that um, this is a classic case of this, like they already decided who it was going to be when they fired him. They had no GM search, which we've talked about several times that kind of like what the Oilers did with Ken Holland, even though he's made a couple decent moves, I guess. But when you've picked your guy before you've even fired the last guy, uh, that's probably a mistake. Uh, would you you got to do a search of at least something. Interview at least a couple other candidates to see if someone's a better fit. And there's no, we'll, we'll go with Kevin Adams. He's been with us for a while. He's a nice guy. We have him over for dinner every once in a while. Uh, we believe in him. He'll do great. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'd say I would tend to agree with you. Uh, wrong turn in every direction for the Sabres. Uh, Kevin Adams, I mean, I don't have a problem with the guy, uh, like just, you know, they went out of the box. I don't have such a problem with that. Obviously there's like a little bit of a guys club in the hockey community when it comes to these executive positions. So you go outside the box. I don't have a problem with that, but yeah, absolutely. When you say you pick your guy in house, uh, within the organization, it doesn't even need to be in house. When you just focus in on one guy, uh, it just, it really, it's not, it's not going to pan out. It almost never does. 
uh, when you you just zero in on a guy uh, and you don't do your due diligence. With this such an important position on the line, do your fucking due diligence when you're hiring anybody in any position in any industry. And for, for and this this job included, and it's just glaringly obvious that the Buffalo Sabres did not do their due diligence when hiring Kevin Adams. There was no job search. It was just Bottles, not the guy anymore, three weeks after we endorsed him and then said, we're going to give you this no-name guy that, yeah, we probably had a bunch of dinners with. We enjoy him. He probably makes a bunch of nice jokes and he's probably a nice guy. But I don't know what he brings to the table. And frankly, they, it's, it's, you know, you got to get it. Like there should be a solid, you know, times like a period of time in which you're at least pretending to do any sort of, you know, job search. Um, and the Sabres did not do that. They fired Bottle. This guy's the new guy, and he's it. He's not an interim guy. He's the guy. Uh, and I really don't see it working out in any sport, when you, in any industry. When you hire a guy uh, just based on, you know, I like him and I didn't look outside. Uh, I didn't look outside the, the organization. I didn't look at different people. I just picked my guy. It never works out. You know, uh, I think of the Titans. There was this head coach that they had three years ago. They hired him before they hired a general manager. Makes no sense. And just like that, he was gone two years later because he was he was pretty terrible. And it works in hockey too. You mentioned, you know, Ken Holland. I'm pretty sure Peter Shirelli had a similar situation in Edmonton as well. And uh, I just it didn't work out there. Uh, and so yeah, Buffalo. I mean, it's just it's an absolute farce of an organization. Uh, and it's very unfortunate for the Buffalo fans. You know, I remember that just that crazy rant. Uh, there was that Buffalo fan named Dwayne uh, that oh, yes. there was like before the season stopped. And man, I just, I feel for the guy. I absolutely feel for the guy. Because if I was a Buffalo Sabres fan, you know, I'm already miserable as enough, enough as it is as a halftime. But if I was a Buffalo Sabres fan, I don't know if I could take it. Because just seeing this day after day, decision after decision, they just game after game, contract after contract, it's awful and it's hilariously awful uh and so yeah my sympathies out to the, to the buffalo fans because jesus christ i cannot believe that they screwed up yet again and uh i i mean i'm just i'm at a loss of words the thing i could say about kevin adams is he's probably i would say going to have it a lot easier than any of the other recent gms in sabers memory jason bottle or, or tim murray because looking at their cat friendly page uh they have on their roster, four forwards under contract for next season, which is extremely low. It's Jack Eichel, Jeff Skinner, Kyle Ogposo, and Marcus Johansson. Uh, two of those contracts, which are not very good contracts, Skinner and Ogposo. But I mean, when you only have four guys under contract, that really gives you a lot of leeway to kind of do whatever you want and like execute in your own vision pretty much immediately, which a lot of times it's hard to do for new GMs, especially new GMs coming into bad teams. Uh, Victor Olofsson, Dominic Cahoon, Sam Reinhardt are RFAs, so he is going to have his work cut out for him right from the start. Also on defense, Brandon Montour. But I mean, if Kev- Kevin Adams, I feel like if he, well, I'll put it this way. If he fails, then he's doing it on his own merit because he's going to have a lot of leeway and a lot of decisions to make off the bat. And if he makes the right ones, it could end up turning the Sabres around pretty fast. I don't know. I hope for this guy that he's not being, you know, the one worry I have, the biggest worry I have with Kevin Adams is that he's being puppeted by the owners, you know, because this guy is kind of a no-name guy uh, within the organization. And my worry is, you know, he doesn't feel the the freedom he he, he should have 
in order to make the moves you want, uh, whether it's, you know, spending big money or, or trading certain players or whatever it is. Uh, and yeah, uh, when, when I hear that they have four players in the contract, honestly, with the Sabres, what the first thought that came to mind when you said that was, oh my God, that is so much room to screw up um, the different contracts that they have to sign. So, you know, I, 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 you know what? I hope that Kevin Adams does a good job uh, because, you know, he's, he's kind of a no-name guy and we don't really see that happen, happen often with, with NHL general managers. You know, you just, you often see the, the you, you see four guys uh, that are up for the job and they're all AGMs and we hear them over and over and over. Uh, so yeah, Kevin Adams, I wish him the best, but honestly, I might, I mean, maybe this is good for him too. My my expectations for this guy are, are near zero because of this organization. Uh, and so look, if we can turn it around, good for him and good for the Buffalo fans. Uh, but you know, my, my biggest worry is yeah, Kim and Terry Pagula, they seem to have been taking more and more of an active role, uh, as time goes on in the organization, in the hockey side of things, and that's what makes me worry. Yeah, um, uh, what was I going to... Oh, I feel like um, a lot of people are saying that just honestly, just getting a good starting goalie is really the big priority for Buffalo and the big sticking point, and that might be enough to get them at least within striking distance of the playoffs because, I mean, uh, Lena Solmark and Carter Hutton is not going to cut it for you if you want to make the playoffs. So, like, they're talking about, like, the Penguins might be wanting to trade one of their two goalies, Matt Murray or Tristan Jerry, and Buffalo should be in the mix for that. There are also a fair amount of UFA goalies coming up whenever whenever free agency is. Uh, Jakob Markstrom will probably going to stay in Vancouver, but, I mean, that's a possibility. Braden Holtby also pending UFA. Uh, Robin Leonard's probably not going to want to come back to Buffalo, but, I mean, they have options to fill that hole. And if they can get the goaltending taken care of, then I feel like they might just be waiting on like Rasmus Dahlin to come to his own as a as a franchise defenseman or a, like a number one defenseman, and I still have faith that that's probably not too far away and might come as soon as next season. When it comes to the goalie situation, I think I think the move to do is Matt Murray. Um, it's it's right there. It's pretty obvious. Pittsburgh they've got a situation. There seems to be some beef brewing. Uh, I think one thing was like Matt Murray uh, went and like unfollowed. Uh, a bunch of Penguins and the Penguins official account. So, like, read into that as much as you want. But I think, you know, Murray's probably the odd guy out in Pittsburgh, which is crazy. It would have been crazy to say just uh, two years ago uh, because he won them, what, two cups? Uh, both of them technically as a rookie. So, um, and but Tristan Jerry has been fantastic. So, yeah, the, the guy on the outs in Pittsburgh seems to be Matt Murray. Uh, when it comes to the free agent market, I don't know if I would put my, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put my money on, on Buffalo uh, making the right move there. I mean, Braden Holtby is probably the one guy that sticks out as, you know, if you're going to make the playoffs, get this guy. But I do not want Braden Holtby. At, I think he's 30 years old. Uh, I don't want to give him a huge contract, which he will command on the free agent market. I don't want to give that to him and tie us up, tie my hands uh, on the salary cap and go in the goalie situation because he had an atrocious season this year. Uh, and he was practically replaced. I think he was replaced by Samsonov in the, as the capital starter. And so I think uh, for the Sabers, in the in the goal for the goalie situation, I think you have to make a move for Matt Murray, no matter the cost, because it is one of their glaring holes. Uh, and they've got superstars at every other position. You know, they've got Eichel obviously, uh, and Darlene is supposed to be really good once he really hits his stride. And so goalie is the number one need. And I think really the only the only real solution, the best solution I could think of, is getting Matt Murray from the Penguins. I can envision a scenario where 
the Sabres and the Ottawa Senators end up in a bidding war for Matt Murray because Ottawa is in a little bit of a similar boat to Buffalo. They have a couple nice young pieces. Nothing in net, though. Greg Anderson is a UFA, might be done at the end of the season. And in the system, they have like Marcus Hogberg, uh, Philip Gustafson. Buffalo also, they have Uko Pekalukinen, but I think he kind of had a little bit of a, an underwhelming season in the minors. So those are these are two teams who are rebuilding, or well, Buffalo said they're not rebuilding, but I mean, I guess by rebuilding, I just mean bad. Two bad teams who really need a goalie, and Matt Murray would be a perfect fit with either one. So I think those two divisional rivals, if they get into a bidding war, uh, it could get really heated, and maybe one of them would probably end up overpaying. Yeah, from a Pittsburgh side of things, I mean, this is the perfect time to, set, to sell Matt Murray, right? He didn't have an awful season by any means, uh, but, you know, he's the guy on the outs. He seems kind of discontent. Uh, you've got your next guy, Tristan Jarry, who seems great. Uh, and you've got a bunch of teams that, that, you know, want Matt Murray. They need a starting goalie. Uh, so, yeah, I think absolutely. I think the big trade name this this offseason, whenever it arrives, uh, is going to be Matt Murray. And Pittsburgh, I think it would be the right move for them to trade him away. Uh-huh. Um, all right. So we're actually almost... Half an hour in, so we're actually we're we're doing a lot of talking. We're spending a lot of time because we have quite a few things to get to, and uh, time to do I guess kind of another hard pivot. Uh, wow, I really need to work on these to uh, the the Dan Carcillo, and more specifically the CHL junior stuff. The I think that there was a, a lawsuit involved. Um, I didn't read into too many specifics, but basically, uh, I'm pretty sure the CHL is being sued for hazing incidents that occurred. Um, when specifically when Dan Carcillo was in junior, but probably before that and after that as well. And I knew that there had been uh, several instances of hazing. Uh, Dan Carcillo has talked about it. Akima Lewis talked about it. But what I read from, um, I don't know if you read the instances that Dan Carcillo uh, pointed out, but it was worse than I had read or worse than I thought. Yeah, absolutely. I, I took a quick glance uh, at this at this news. Uh, and yeah, those, a couple of those incidents... Uh, I read about them, and they're, I mean, they're absolutely horrifying. They're just disgusting. Uh, and, uh, I mean, it just seems that it, it happens way too often. These are stories that are corroborated by, corroborated by a number of players on a number of teams. So, you know, this problem is widespread, uh, whether the CHL wants to admit it or not. And I think th- this is what the lawsuit is for, and it's that the CHL doesn't want to admit it. Uh, and they're trying to get some sort of apology from them, and rightfully so, because it just seems that uh, this the environment, the atmosphere of junior hockey has just been the ideal breeding ground for nasty behaviors, uh, you know, on just just the, the the disgusting, you know, hazing against rookies, but also, you know, the different racist things that we saw with Akima Lou. Uh, and so, you know, we, it's just all sorts of problems. It is hugely problematic. Uh, and I mean, it's just, I... I mean, good for Dan Garcillo for calling it out, uh, for taking real action. He didn't have to do this. He's th- His junior days are way beyond him. But, you know, definitely uh, I commend him for this action. You know, he's looking out for the future generations that will have to go through junior hockey. Uh, and, you know, hopefully it's going to be a better place for them because right now, currently as it stands, there have been no changes to, the you know, the attitude towards hazing, uh, the attitude towards, you know, Honestly, sexual abuse is what I see when I read these incidents. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's what this lawsuit is for. Uh, and hopefully we see some change in the in, in the CHL. Yeah, junior hockey in Canada is, uh, from the looks of it, basically completely broken and has been for 
a long time. And it, you start to make a little bit more sense now why it's been more common for Canadian players to play junior A instead of major junior and then maybe go to college after that and play play college hockey in the U.S. Uh, and it's because they possibly hear these stories of what goes on in these junior locker rooms. And not to mention the, the coaches also. Not, not to, they don't, It's not that they don't do anything about it, but in some instances, Dan Carcillo mentioned, they joined in in the hazing. So that's just awful. I don't remember any of the coaches' names, but I think uh, uh, Mark, Mark Dyke was one of them. Anyway, um, so and someone pointed out also, uh, in other major sports in North America, basketball, baseball, football, the way you uh, make it to the pros is you play well in high school, and then you go to college and you play well there, and then you might make the pros. And in hockey, obviously there are several more, um, you know, paths you can take to get there. But the fact that the CHL is one of the main ones in North America, if not the main one, and we see these stories coming out, uh, that's what's really worrisome. That basically just a uh, total overhaul is needed. It's one of the other aspects of hockey culture that seems to have gone rotten. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about power dynamics, problematic power dynamics. Uh, this is definitely one of them. What because you know you can't really speak up. We've seen uh, the consequences for people who do. Right, Akima Lou was kept down in the minors uh, for way too long when he definitely should have gotten a call up because he spoke out uh, against racism, against the abuse. Uh, and so, yeah, problematic power dynamics on just on the club level between the coaches, the management, and the players. But also, you know, as you mentioned, uh, these players don't really have much of a they don't really have any other path to actually make it to the big leagues, to make it to the NHL. Uh, obviously, we've seen the college path gain m- much more prominence in recent years uh, where, you know, we see a bunch of players go off to the States, play there, and then make it to the NHL. Uh, but that's a very recent thing, and it's not, you know, extremely widespread. Uh, and so, yeah, this problem needs to be tackled in the CHL. It needs to be tackled right now uh, because, uh, yeah, it's problematic on a lot of levels. Uh, and, you know, the, the people who are suffering at, at, at the heart of this uh, are the players. And we, we, you know, it sucks to see that, you know, because uh, you'll, you'll probably what has almost definitely happened is you see a bunch of players get turned off because they're, you know, constantly abused on their junior hockey teams. And so we don't want, like, hockey is very inaccessible as it is right now uh, as a sport. And we don't want to see it become even more inaccessible. Uh, and so, yeah, just to make it uh, as, as best an environment as possible, the sport of hockey, this is uh, good for Dan Carcillo for taking initiative on this uh, because, yeah, this problem is absolutely rampant. Besides all the egregious expenses that make hockey so hard to play for so many people, um, uh, the other thing is that even if it were accessible, and these things were still happening in junior, and these stories come out like this, then I I would say it might be irresponsible to, as a parent, send your 15 or 16-year-old kid to junior and let them, uh, even if they were still living at home, a lot of these are living with a billet family. You're really going to do that? Send them into an environment like this, where all this these hazing stories of rookies? Like, I don't know. It just seems so outrageous to me. So I think that we very well might, after these stories, within the next uh, two or three years, see a massive dip in players who want to play junior and thereby maybe a little bit of a spike in players going the junior A route, going the college route. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from a parent's perspective, from a PR perspective, this is, this is just, this is terrible. Um, because you know, it, it, this problem is rampant and absolutely, if I'm a parent of a kid, uh, who's 15, 16 years old, mind you, like, yeah, have some pers- like if we take a, like a look at this, 
uh, age-wise, these are really just kids. I mean, we're two or three years past being a junior player, right? Like going into junior. And that's absolutely crazy. These kids, uh, you know, are not adults. They're kids. Uh, and so if I'm a parent, I'm, I don't, I don't want to send my kid to an environment which has, you know, repeated cases of, of abuse, of hazing. Um, so yeah, um, I, I think this is a terrible look for the CHL. Uh, you know, it has been a terrible look all throughout. Uh, we, we've, I think we've known about this problem for a long time now. Uh, we've seen, you know, these stories come out one by one. Uh, and, and now we finally have something, you know, in the courts uh, with this lawsuit. And so, yeah, the CHL, definitely not a good look. And absolutely, uh, already attendance problems as it is in hockey, uh, in the CHL and whatnot. Uh, and this definitely cannot help. And that's not good for the sport of hockey. Uh, and so, in you know, the, the CHL needs to better itself in order to improve attendance, to make it more attractive for parents. And that's what we're looking for. And that's what will, you know, help help the sport. Uh, this show so far has kind of been going back and forth between the bad news and the fun stuff. Uh, we are possibly now, if you're ready to, move on to something that we were going to do last week. Um, we have filled out some mock awards ballots, kind of. Uh a few major awards where we did the the heart the calder the vesna the norris the selkie uh did you do the jack adams i couldn't remember if we said we would yeah i did the jack adams all right me too so those six uh we picked out uh, our top three for each of them uh except for the heart we picked our top five because there are lots of valuable players i guess and we're just gonna we're gonna discuss them and possibly a little bit of uh deliberation and debate will occur in the next couple minutes so i'll let you decide what award do you want to start with i think we should start with the big one the heart. All right, you want to start with the heart? I was thinking of ending with the heart, but if you'd rather start with it, then that's cool. Uh, would you like to reveal your ballot first? Okay. Uh, so my fifth place guy, uh, we have uh, Connor McDavid, uh, and then I have Arthur Panarin in fourth place, uh, Drysaddle in third, McKinnon in second, and first place, the most valuable player in my eyes uh, in the NHL, uh, I think it's Connor Hellebuck. All right. Um, I'll I'll go. Um, so I'll I'll go one to five. Uh, my heart pick is Nathan McKinnon, and followed by that is Hellebuck, Panarin, McDavid, and Drysaddle. So we have similar players on there for the most part. Uh, and to be honest, I McKinnon and Hellebuck it was really really close for me. So like the fact that you pick Hellebuck, I I agree kind of like I I totally understand. But I feel like with with McKinnon, you look at okay, he was very close to the top in league scoring, and he had to carry a team which Mikko Rantanen, Gabriel Landeskog, Kale McCarr, Philip Grubauer, were, and Nazem Kadri too, were all injured for extended periods of time. And he dragged them to, I think, where, where the Avalanche are third or fourth in the NHL. So I just think like when a forward does something like that, it's too impressive to ignore. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I, I, this list for me, these five, it's been very fluid. Uh, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see really four, any any of the four, uh, Hellebuck, Panarin, Drysaddle, McKinnon, I wouldn't be surprised to see any of them win. Obviously, I think Hellebuck should win. Uh, but, no, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be outraged. Uh, but when it comes to first place, I really think Connor Hellebuck, he dragged this Jets team, Jets team kicking and screaming into this, uh, you know, this playing team. I don't remember where they were exactly when they finished the season, but they were really damn close uh, to an actual, you know, like an actual playoff spot if it was a regular season. And, you know, you talk about McKinnon. Uh, I mean, his his teammates were injured, 
uh, his superstar teammates were injured. But for Hellebuck, you know, his superstar teammates, they did not exist, basically. Uh, you know, obviously, you got a couple of nice pieces with, you know, Blake Wheeler, Mark Trifling, uh, But really, the talent is not compare with Colorado. And that defensive core, uh, I mean, it's an absolute shambles. It's dog shit, all right? He had no help. He had no support whatsoever. At least McKinnon, for parts of the season, you know, he had one guy, one guy. Obviously, they, they kept falling down like flies. They kept getting injured. But at least he had them for stretches of times. Hellebuck had absolutely nobody on that team. I mean, you read that decor, I think their number one defenseman is like, it's either Josh Morrissey or it's Neil Pion. And either way, it's absolutely embarrassing. Um, and so it's just, I mean, Halibut had absolutely nobody. This team had no business being near a playoff spot. This team should have been in the basement of the West, given how this roster was constructed. Uh, and the fact that they are in a, in the play-in series is really a testament to one guy. It's one guy and it's Connor Halibut. Because really, without him, this team would be absolutely nowhere. If you had even just an average NHL goaltender having an average NHL goalie season, the Jets would be near the basement of the league because this roster is an absolute disaster. Um, which is weird because, you know, I just felt like the Jets were about to contend just a couple years ago. But no, it really has fallen apart. All of their defensemen left in the offseason. But somehow, Hellebuck absolutely dragged them uh, into... You know, what is basically a playoff spot into a play-in series. Uh, and so that's why I think he's absolutely deserving uh, of number one and of the Hart Trophy. If we had to fill out a, a, a ballot together, I feel like Hellebuck would probably end up number one because you you put lots of great arguments forward. And McKinnon Hellebuck, as I said, is like as close as you can get to a tie for me. So if we had to put one together, I wouldn't mind Hellebuck at number one. One thing I do want to mention, though... Um, I can see a lot of people having reservations about the fact that that uh, we both put McDavid and Dreisaitl on our ballot. You had both of them on, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, because people, would, for whatever reason, have this impression that like when you have two extremely valuable players, like for a long time the story was Taves and Kane in Chicago or like Crosby and Malkin in Pittsburgh, um, they kind of cancel each other out for this award. And you need we um a couple of years, two years ago. It's when a lot of this heart stuff kind of, you know, came to the forefront because, okay, there's the argument that you can't win the heart or shouldn't win the heart unless you make the playoffs. All right. Then there's the other one where like, oh, you shouldn't win the heart if you have too many other good players on your team, which usually means you're near the top of the standings. All right. And so basically what you're left with is the star player on the wildcard teams. And you'll remember a couple of years ago when Taylor Hall won the heart trophy, the Devils were eighth, eighth place in the East, just barely made the playoffs. Anze Kopitar was the other finalist, wildcard team. Claude Giroux was the other finalist, I think. Uh, and that, that was third in the Metro, so also a bubble playoff team. So when you have these things with like, oh, McDavid and Drysaddle, kind of like, uh, oh, you can't you can't have both be finalists for the award. I disagree. I disagree because, okay, the award, people point out like, oh, in the definition, most valuable player to their team. Fine. All right. So basically, let's say, for example, McDavid and Drysaddle were on different teams. Let's say, I don't know, just for argument's sake, that McDavid was like in McKinnon's position on a Colorado type team. I don't know, whatever, basically. And then so McDavid and Dreisaitl would probably both be honestly, might both be number one and two for this award if they were in those positions without each other. And then so just the fact that you bring them together, I don't see how that makes them any less valuable at all. Any less valuable to their team. Because like 
you take Drysaddle off the Oilers for argument's sake. Okay, let's say they'll still be able to make the playoffs just because McDavid's there. Like, why does that mean Drysaddle was any less valuable? I don't know if you have any other insight into this, but that's how I look at it. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything to add to that because absolutely, I agree. Um, I think even in this year, uh, even in my you know ballot, I think they're absolutely suffering from a bit of that bias. You know, uh, they're both on the same team, and so you know we're kind of looking for that singular contributor who carried their team. Absolutely, I think that's a bias that I have. Uh, and but yeah, McDavid and Drysaddle. I mean, the talent between the two uh, is just absolutely preposterous. I mean, McDavid is best player in the world, and Drysaddle. I mean, look at the number of points he had. Yeah, I think he 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 got he hit the hundred point marker, and he had like ten games left. Uh, so I mean, uh, the just they absolutely deserve to be on the hard ballot. Uh, and if we are taking a bit of that logic of you know you know uh, just contributors to the team, I mean, this team, this Oilers team, would be absolutely nowhere. Without McDavid and Drysaddle, if neither of them are on the team, the Oilers would be absolute dog shit. Uh, and so, uh, and even one of them, it would be make a huge difference. Uh, I think for most of the season they played on different lines, so you can't say one was a product of the other. Uh, they both carried their lines, and I mean, obviously, I think Drysaddle gets the edge here between the two because McDavid was injured for a stretch. But when they were on the ice, when they were both healthy, uh, it's just. They were ridiculous. They were they're ridiculously talented, and honestly, it's unfair that the Oilers have them both on the team, and that should not disqualify them uh, from being on a heart ballot, uh, either of them or both of them. And I think both of them do deserve to make it. They were absolutely uh, top five MVP uh, this season. I gave McDavid the edge over Drysaddle, and because I think even though they didn't play on the same line. I think it's fair to say that they're kind of a product of each other a little bit to at least some extent. And more so, I'd say Dreisaitl is a product of McDavid because when you think about it, no team or very few teams have more than like one really good shutdown defenseman who can who can like zero in on McDavid, McDavid and maybe hope to contain him for that one night. And so most of the time when, say, you're playing, I don't know, when you're playing the Flames or something and you put Mark Giordano up against McDavid, and that basically that frees up Drysaddle to play play up against I don't know Noah Hannafin's defense pairing and absolutely destroy him and do whatever he wants. So I think that like if Drysaddle were taken off the Oilers, nothing much would change from a standpoint of McDavid's individual production. But if it were the other way around, I know there was that that one stretch where like McDavid was injured for a week and Drysaddle was great. But I feel like over an extended period of time, when Drysaddle had to repeatedly go up against the you know top competition on the other team. Obviously, he would still be a star, but I think the the production would probably dwindle down a little bit. You know, I think that's an absolutely fair point. Uh, and, you know, if in general, I would think McDavid is absolutely more important to this Oilers team uh, than Drysaddle. But I think, you know, just if we look at this season, uh, when McDavid got injured for that stretch, I think that that's what tips the balance for me between the two, uh, is that Drysdale has been healthy the whole season and has been an absolute superstar the entire season, even when McDavid was gone. I think uh, he proved himself uh, in that little stretch uh, that he could carry a team, and he did carry the Oilers when McDavid was out. Uh, so for this season, I think he was absolutely more valuable. I think if Drysdale was not there this season and McDavid got injured, the bottom would have absolutely fell out of the Oilers, uh, and they would have just you know, sunk like a rock because that team is not very well constructed, frankly, uh, besides these two superstars. And so um, this season, I think Drysaddle is better. Uh, but I think there's an argument, honestly, and I, and I, this is my opinion on Carmack David. I think he should be a top, he should be a hard finalist every single year because he's the best player in the world. 
Uh, and I mean, he's just, he's the best player in the world. What more can, what more do I need to say, uh, for the heart? Uh, so yeah, when it comes to McDavid, absolutely. He should be a, an annual. I, 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 was there a year where he was off the ballot? If there was, that's absolutely outrageous. He should, I think he should have won, uh, the, the year Hall did. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, for this season, I think Drysdale takes the cake just because, you know, he just, he was, there was that injury period for McDavid. And I think that's, that's the one thing that sticks out for me that makes me put Drysdale over McDavid. Do you want to do the, uh, the Vesna next? Pretty easy one. Yeah, sure. All right. I assume we both have Connor Hellebuck number one, right? Yes. Wouldn't make sense to have anything number one. Yeah. My, my two and three are Ben Bishop and Tuka Rask. How about you? Okay, I have uh, Tuka Rath, number two. And uh, I actually have Andre Vasilevsky, the third one. That's my third pick. No Ben Bishop. No Ben Bishop. Well, I Okay. Uh, hmm. I was expecting Ben Bishop to be at least on your ballot because he was the Dallas Stars MVP this year, uh, the way I look at things. And they were fourth in the West, and they, made a, they got a bye, and Ben Bishop was basically like at least half of that, I would say. He was a massive part of that team. Yeah, that's fair. But uh, you know, let me let me just pull up Ben Bishop's stats. Uh, okay, he had a fantastic season, absolutely. Uh, but yes. look, I think I think uh, I mean I honestly I thought about this these two Vasilevsky and Bishop. Uh, Bishop is yeah the fourth place guy, and it was close between him and Vasilevsky. But uh, I mean, I mean I think Vas- I think Tampa Bay uh, they were having a rough time at the beginning of the season. And look, I think Vasilevsky was pretty solid the whole the whole time through. And he, when they really did get going, uh, he was on fire. And so you know, Tampa, we, we talked about them extensively. How you know it just seemed that they came really slow out of the gate this season. But Vasilevsky didn't seem to have any didn't seem to have any problems. And when they did get it going, I mean, he was an instrumental part of that. Uh, and yeah, I think I mean Tampa finished second in second in the in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they were behind Boston, but other than that, I mean, they were, I think they were pretty concretely the second best team by the end of the season uh, in that conference. And, and I think Vasilevsky, without Vasilevsky, this guy, uh, talent-wise, he's, I think he's probably the best goalie in the NHL. Uh, and that is why I put him uh, as the last guy on my ballot. All right. Uh, you know, I'm not going to spend too, too much time arguing about that one because, I mean, Hellebuck's pretty much a shoe-in for it. Uh, who do you have for the Norris? Okay, Norris, this is this is fascinating uh, because, uh, you know, you have Carlson and Yossi, I think, are the top two guys. Uh, and, you know, Carlson got, like, a very flashy uh, superstar offensive season, but this guy has deficiencies uh, in the defensive zone that Yossi doesn't quite have. Uh, and, and Yossi is better in the defensive zone. Uh, so between the two, I thought about it, and I thought long and hard, um, but I decided to go with Carlson. Uh, as my winner for the Norris, Yossi closely behind at number two, and I put Victor Hedman uh, just to round out my ballot. We both have the exact same ballot for this one. I was fully expecting that you were going to take Roman Yossi because I think earlier on in this season you advocated for him ahead of Carlson to win the Norris. Uh, but I uh, so but you end up coming around to to my yeah, side of things. You know- yeah, I, I, I thought about it, and, and absolutely, you're right. I did have Yossi. I came into, you know, this ballot preparation kind of expecting Yossi to be my pick, but I thought about it, and really, Carlson 
He had such a special season offensively. It was absolutely ridiculous, the number of point production he got. Uh, and... Yeah, he has some problems in the defensive zone, but they're not problem problems. They're not like, oh, no, John Carlson in the defensive zone. Uh, they're going to give up a goal now. Uh, so, you know, look, I, I just thought, you know, the Norris between Car- – Yossi had a great season, but I think just Carlson just had it, you know, just – it was it was so late for the point production. I couldn't ignore it. I could not give it to him. Yeah, I agree. I feel like in general, for whatever reason, the hockey community sometimes – well, obviously, it depends on the person. But I feel like maybe, maybe more specifically, like in the the awards voters or like the maybe more more old time. You don't want to generalize, but people tend to sometimes undervalue offense and overvalue defense. And I mean, obviously, okay, defense is very important. But I think maybe another one of the problems with it is that everyone has a different perception on what it means to be good defensively. And the way I look at it is that, I mean, if you're constantly in the offensive zone, constantly getting a bunch of points and don't give the other team an opportunity to score on you, then that's pretty much as good defensively as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. The saying is the best defense is a great offense, right? And I think that's what Carlson brought. I think he brought out of all the defensemen. I think he contributed most. Uh, for the Capitals, and I think he did so more than Yossi did for the Predators, just because, you know, the goal of hockey is to score goals and score points, and Carlson did so much of that, uh, that, I mean, yeah, I think that's why that, that's what puts him over the edge. Do you want to do the Selkie next? Yeah, that's a funky award. Wait, one second. Yeah. Can, you hear the back- can you hear the background noise uh, on my end? I think, yeah, I did hear a little bit before, but it wasn't that much. Okay. Oh, now I hear it. All right, you hear it? Yeah. Okay, you want me? Okay, one sec. All right, so the Selkie. Um, okay, so the Selkie, now that is a funky-ass award because, you know, it just seems like we see the same few guys year after year. I mean, when was the last time we didn't see Patrice Bergeron on a ballot? Uh, this year included because he's on mine, spoiler alert. Uh, but yeah, uh, so Selkie, what is it? Best defensive? So what is the criteria for the award? It's best defensive, best defensive forward who also chips in uh, in the so best two way forward, right? Like he has to chip in well, offensively, but he does good work in the defensive zone. Well, technically, um, I think the definition is forward who excels defensively. So there's really nothing in the definition about having to be a good offensive player. Uh, however, it almost always goes to well, first of all, a center. Even though Mark Stone did, Mark Stone win it last year. Or was he just a finalist? I don't remember. But I think he was pretty close to winning it, even though he's a winger, which is very rare. Anyway, I thought Mark Stone should have won last year. Anyway, um, it almost always goes to a center and almost always goes to somebody who put up impressive offensive numbers. So that definition, of course, like with most awards, they kind of play around with it and interpret it differently. Um, So do you want to say your ballot first? Okay, sure. So first of all, last year was Ryan O'Reilly, who won the South. Oh, yeah. Uh, And this year... Uh, you know, I don't know if I put too much thought into this one, but it was a name when I looked it up, a lot of people had this guy as the winner. So I have Sean Couturier, uh, as the winner. And then a bunch of, uh, a couple of old heads, uh, on, for the rest of my ballot, I got Bergeron as my second guy, uh, and the winner from last year, Ryan O'Reilly, uh, for third place. All right. Um, okay. Yeah. To be totally honest with this award, 
um, I'm basically a sheep. I looked it up to see what everyone else was talking about and kind of agreed with them because, I mean, okay, I'm not going to pretend I watch every single game except for the Canadians game. So when I hear a bunch of people saying that a particular player had a had an exceptional year defensively, I'll just agree with them. And one of those players uh, was Sean Couturier, who I have number one on my ballot as well. Another one who you didn't mention is Anthony Sorelli, who a, a lot of the, the super smart people that I follow and track um, seem to think that he should be uh, right in the conversation with Couturier for the Selkie Trophy. I think in only his, now his third season in the league, or is this only his second? I don't remember. Anyway, very young NHL career. Anthony Sorelli is already among the elite defensive forwards. So I have Anthony Sorelli number two on my ballot. And I decided to go with uh, old hat Patrice Bergeron number three. Yeah. Solid ballot. I mean, there's not much to say about the Selkie. I didn't know about Anthony Cinarelli, but now that I do, definitely a name to keep out, uh, keep an keep an eye out for. But yeah, this this award is funky because you know this kind of it's hard to track. You know, it's it's there are so many players that you know you you have to consider, and how do you really compare them? I mean, are you supposed to watch all the games? That's impossible. Uh, so yeah, the Selkie is a funky one because I rely a lot on what my research, like I, I Google it. And, uh, you know, look, this is, this is a consensus three. Um, you know, who's to say who makes the consensus? Uh, but that's what popped up. I seem to agree with it. They had three good seasons, Petrie in particular, and that, that's how I got to myself, the three. All right. Uh, we have two left to do. We have the Jack Adams and the, the Calder. Uh, do you want to save the Calder for last? And that, that might be the most fun. We'll do the, the Jack Adams first. Yeah, I was thinking that. All right. Uh, my, my three for the Jack Adams are uh, three coaches who are near the top of the league. Actually, you know, maybe the top three teams, actually. I don't remember. Uh, so I have Bruce Cassidy, number one, Boston Bruins. Then Craig Berube with the St. Louis Blues. And Jared Bednar, Colorado Avalanche. Okay. All right. I've got, uh, number one, I got Elaine Vigneault. Um, because, you know, it's oh, this award is like, uh, whoa, your team did better than I thought they would. Uh, and yeah, the Flyers did exactly that. I mean, uh, they kind of came out of nowhere. They went on a huge hot streak, and they found themselves near the top of the Metro. Uh, I put Mike Sullivan because that Penguins team, I thought it was going to regress, but they didn't. And, uh, you know, Crosby Malkin, but also the rest of that team did great. And they were up there, just like that, just like Philly. Uh, and the last one, I put uh, Dave Pippen because, fuck, nobody believed in the fucking Oilers. Uh, and here they are. Uh, firmly, pretty firmly in a playoff spot all season. And, uh, yeah, congrats because, yeah, you've got McDavid, yeah, you've got Drysaddle, but I looked at that rest of that roster. They had both of those players last year, too. And I looked at the roster coming into this year, and I said, nothing changed. Nothing fucking changed. They're going to miss the playoffs again. They're going to blow it. And they didn't. Um, so, you know, this award is kind of the, oh, okay, I didn't think you would do this good. Let's just credit to the coach. And, uh, that's how I picked my three. Yeah, so I feel like we kind of have different philosophies filling out this award. I feel like yours is maybe more of a prediction in terms of like what, what you how do you expect the voting to go, whereas mine, uh, I picked who I believe truly are the best three coaches and who deserve it, uh, and those are, they kind of match pretty closely to who the best three teams in the league are. I picked Bruce Cassidy first because of, I mean, okay, look at Boston, obviously they've got, you know, the couple great players, but I mean, the defense corps, You've got Tory Krug, Charlie McAvoy, Brandon Carlos, Zdeno Char as a top four. I mean, and you got Tuka Raskinet. So, like, I mean, okay, it's a pretty good defense, I guess. There's maybe no no superstar. So, but the fact that they managed to, after 
first of all, making the Stanley Cup Finals last season, coming back this year with an even stronger regular season is extremely impressive, especially because, you know, these the te- these teams that go deep in the playoffs, I don't know if it's really the case anymore, but sometimes get off to a little bit of a slow start. And that's kind of the similar reason why I have Craig Berube number two, because sometimes that can be even worse when you're actually the Stanley Cup champion, that sometimes, especially if you have most of the roster coming back, which I think was the case in St. Louis, it was basically everyone except like now they have Justin Falk, who they didn't have last year. And they kept all the momentum from last season going. And I think that's a, that's a, a says a lot about Craig Berube as a coach. And uh, Jared Bednar, number three. Uh, yeah, kind of a similar reason why I had McKinnon so high, because, you know, they had a bunch of injuries and they managed to stay afloat. So that's my top three. But Alan Vigneault, honestly, I expect that he does win because of how good the Flyers have been. But uh, I personally just don't think he deserves to. Yeah, I think the difference in our... In our uh, in our ballot, just comes down to philosophy. Uh, I think you're right when I said when you said you know I'm probably just trying to predict who's going to win. Uh, and you know I don't yeah. So with a coaching, it's hard to measure though, right? That's the thing. They don't really produce on ice um, because they don't go on the ice. Uh, so you know you pick three great teams. You pick three great teams, uh, and I can't fault you for that. I'm not going to say I'm I'm outraged by Cassidy, Brube, Bednar. All three of their teams did fantastic. So you know the coaching wasn't the problem there. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't have anything else to add for the Jack Adams. Uh, I made my case for those three, and I certainly don't have any problems with your three. All right. Uh, very final award that we are going to be discussing. Sorry uh, to all the Lady Bing and Bill Masterton lovers. Uh, maybe next year, uh, the College Trophy. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, this is a two-horse race and has been pretty much since the beginning between two defensemen, very rare for Rookie of the Year, uh, Kale McCarr versus Quinn Hughes. Personally, I picked Kale McCarr, um, and even though I feel like Quinn Hughes is probably the favorite at this point, even though it's still pretty close, I picked McCarr uh, mainly because uh, I just like him better. Um, I haven't, I didn't really dive into too much data or anything like that. Quinn Hughes would be a great choice. He, He's honestly maybe already the best defenseman the Canucks have ever had because they have absolutely nothing in their entire history on the blue line. So that's pretty impressive for him. But Cal McCarr, I don't know. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what it is that I prefer to him than than uh, than Quinn Hughes. But if I'm starting a team from from scratch, my gut tells me that, that McCarr is the guy I want. Okay. Well, uh, you know, frankly, I uh, kind of went with the vibes as well on this one because, uh, look, Hughes and McCarr, they're – pretty equal and their trajectories are both are different and pretty interesting because McCarr, you know, he was a superstar right from the get-go of the season uh, and really midway through the season, it was like, it seemed like it was written in stone, Cam McCarr called the trophy this year, uh, but Hughes absolutely turned it on near the last, end of the season, uh, which is arguably, you know, obviously uh, every regular season game is worth the same standing-wise, but momentum-wise, you know, people tend to place more importance on the, you know, on the stretch run. Uh, and that's when he was really turned it on. And, you know, McCarr got injured for a little stretch, uh, as we mentioned earlier when we were talking about McKinnon. And I think that's definitely a strike against him uh, because Hughes has been very, like, he's been he's been playing all year. Uh, and he's gotten better and better. And, frankly, he was a superstar. And, as you mentioned, Vancouver does not have a history of good defensemen, uh, of really any defenseman on that franchise uh, in 40 years. So, uh, yeah, credit to Quinn Hughes. Uh, and, frankly, I like him better. I think the season he had was was just incredible. I think, I think both of these seasons were incredible. I just I like Hughes' season better. Uh, numbers-wise, I just give you one number, and it's the number of uh, – two numbers, really. It's the number of games played and the number of points. And Hughes takes them both. 
And that's what really carries it for these two. It's very close. I think it's probably the closest award out of all of them. Uh, just because, you know, it's it, it really was a special season for rookie defensemen. Uh, and, yeah, so just congratulations to both of them. But I think Hughes, uh, Hughes is my winner. Special season for rookie defensemen. Uh, not even just those top two. This might be, I don't know if it's ever happened that all three finalists for the Calder were defensemen. And on my ballot, uh, that's what I have. I have Adam Fox number three. And I know we said we were only going to do three for this one, but uh, I decided to do uh, five for four and five. I put Dominic Kubalik and Nick Suzuki just so I could get a Habs mentor somewhere in here along the way. Solid, solid. Uh, you know, I, if we had a top five, Nick Suzuki would absolutely be in my top five. Uh, no bias here. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the third guy on my ballot uh, is a guy we talked about earlier this season. Uh, I made a quiz about him uh, and it's Elvis, Elvis Merlikens. Yeah. Yes, it's Elvis, uh, because, you know, just, you know, I, I thought I'd throw him a mention here in this ballot, and because he did have a fantastic season. Uh, Columbus was not expected to do very well this season, because everybody left, uh, from Matt Duchesne to, you know, Zingle, uh, he left, Bobrovsky, obviously, uh, but I think him and Corpus Allo did a fantastic job filling up the void that Bobrovsky did, uh, left when he went off to uh, Florida, and, you know, just... I mean, we made a quiz on him. What more do I need to say? Uh, that's how well he was doing. Uh, so, yeah, Elvis is the third guy on my ballot. I'm actually surprised you went with Adam Fox. I didn't know he was... I, I, I've had, I haven't heard any Calder buzz for Adam Fox. I thought you were going to go with John Marino from the Penguins uh, in terms of other defensemen on your Calder uh, ballot. So, yeah, absolutely. Rookie defenseman, it's been absolutely bonkers. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's that. And, uh, I yeah. mean, it's, uh, Calder, it's Calder is always very interesting. Huh? Uh, I just feel like, I don't know, I felt the same way about Jordan Binnington last year uh, that I do about Elvis this year. Uh, I just feel like the thing with a goalie possibly winning a Calder, I just feel like neither one of them played enough games. Like, I'm just looking right now, last year Binnington played 32, and Merzlikens played 33 this year, so basically the same. I just don't think that's enough, personally. Obviously, it was for Binnington last year, so Merzlikens might be a finalist again, but that's just how I feel about it. I just feel like that's not enough. Like, if you if you were the starting goalie all year, then I would probably feel pretty different about it. Uh, but that's not the case. Anyway, talking about Adam Fox, uh, I have seen quite a little, quite a lot of buzz. Actually, pretty much every single tweet I see discussing Hughes versus Makar, there is uh, a very, a very strong, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I'll just say strong, very, very loud, maybe subsection of people who constantly are trying to drill Adam Fox into that same group in that same conversation. Uh, Hughes, Hughes versus Makar, who do you have? And like people say, Adam Fox, Adam Fox, Adam Fox. Maybe not to the extent I'm, I'm saying, but but it's there. There's a lot of buzz for Adam Fox. And you know what? I, I say it's deserved because he did kind of have it a little bit easy with New York this year with a pretty strong right side. Jacob Trubin, Tony D'Angelo kind of, you know, helping him out a little bit in terms of, you know, sheltering him. But in the minutes he did play, he was fantastic defensively. And I don't know exactly what his numbers were, but I, I'm pretty sure he's... Uh, He's got the makings to be a really good top four defenseman. Okay, that's fascinating. I actually hadn't followed Adam Fox at all. I, I honestly didn't really hear his name anywhere. Um, so I'm surprised to hear from you that you know you've seen it all over the place. Uh, a, a strong subsection of uh, fox fox truthers, I guess. Fox hounds is that the uh, word? Sure, fox hounds. Um, th- <laughs> but uh, look, I mean, that's I think that's fascinating. Adam Fox is. Just an interesting player in terms of a, a prospect because 
you know, he did take that funky route, uh, drafted by Calgary, refused to sign, then got traded to the Rangers. So that that's, you know, when you say Adam Fox, that's what comes to mind. Uh, but yeah, I didn't know he had such a good season. Uh, looks like I'm looking at his hockey TV page. Looks like he contributed in the offensive zone. He had like 40 points or something. Uh, he had 42 points. Uh, so, yeah, okay, good to know. I learned something today. And it's that Adam Fox had uh, a great season for the Rangers. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's a little a little awards section. Who knows when the award show is actually going to be. Um, but but that's probably the least of our concern at this point. Uh, we're, we decided that uh, this week we are not going to do a prospect profile because we have so much other stuff to talk about. But instead, kind of a little bit of a replacement for it, we are going to do a little draft lottery preview because this is our very last episode before the draft lottery phase one on Friday. Now, uh, we haven't discussed exactly how we're going to do this preview. Uh, maybe we'll just discuss it. And you know what? I'll, I'll hand the floor to you so you have any initial thoughts right off the bat. Well, my initial thought is I am so excited for this draft lottery to happen. I mean, I'm a fan of the draft draft lottery every year, especially this new format. I love this new format. It's extremely exciting. Uh, and now that we have this weird-ass phase two thing that's going to happen, I'm even more excited because it's going to, you know, maybe. we have potential to have, maybe, we have a potential to have some some big hype uh, in the long term. Uh, so, I mean, we're, we can see some very interesting scenarios. And it's just, it's the draft lottery every year. It's just, it's so special because, you know, uh, it's basically deciding who gets the superstar. Uh, this year, it's obviously Alexi Lafreniere. Um, but it also, you know, number two, number three, obviously, extremely important picks. Uh, and, you know, you can see, especially for these, you know, rebuilding dog shit teams, like uh, you have your Ottawa Senators uh, at twice, and you have your Detroit. Uh, you know, it's just, it's basically the event of the year for them. And you can tell. Uh, so, yeah, just the draft lottery, I'm just, the, the, the number one feeling, great anticipation, uh, obviously hungry for any sort of, you know, real NHL content. Uh, I don't think we've had that since the shutdown, other than, you know, your, your basic news about how they're going to reopen, but that's not really anything. Uh, long term, the one thing that actually has consequences for th- things happening on the ice uh, in the long run over the course of the many years in the future is the draft lottery. Uh, big hype and, you know, predictions? Any predictions? I don't know. What uh, do you think? Uh, well, I'm not going to make any predictions yet. Maybe we'll get to that uh, in a minute, but... Uh, about like hype leading up to the draft lottery, I'm kind, of, I'm a lot like you. I'm always very excited about it, but for whatever reason, um, obviously this year is different. But like in past years too, like I would say, it hasn't been since maybe like the McDavid draft or like maybe the Matthews draft, I guess, um, where there was a really a lot of hype leading up to the draft lottery. Uh, it just kind of feels like no one, no one really talks about it very much leading up to it, and most of the excitement just happens like the night of, and it feels like. I feel like this always okay. Usually, like the playoffs are going on during it, so people are people are understandably more focused on that. And this year, there's a lot of other stuff going on on too. But the draft lottery never gets the attention that it deserves, in my opinion. That's why, actually, I don't know if I've talked about this. In a normal season, I kind of was always a fan of the idea of having the draft lottery, like when the playoffs are done, like a week before the draft. Uh, kind of you know like increase like like gain a little bit of momentum leading into the draft. And I know okay like. Would it really make that much of a difference for teams picking near the top to not know where your pick is until a week in advance? I don't think so. Everyone knows most years if you have the first pick who you're picking or second or third or fourth. And like no one's dropping more than three spots. So I really think that that teams not being prepared is 
first of all, a terrible excuse and not such a big price to pay. But anyway, I kind of got off track a little bit there. Uh, looking forward to the draft lottery. Actually, I've been doing this uh, this thing recently because on Tankathon, where you usually you can run draft simulations, um, you you know can play with that for a while and it's a lot of fun. But it's a little bit less fun now because they haven't updated it to be with like the placeholder teams, team A, team B, team C and stuff. They still have like, you know, Montreal, Chicago and so on. So I've been doing this thing where like I assigned numbers one through a thousand to each team. Uh, so like one to 185 to Detroit because they have an 18.5% chance and 186 to 322 to Ottawa's pick because they, that pick has 13.5% chance and so on. And I've just been random number generating uh, one to a thousand to, to do my own draft lottery simulations. And to be totally honest, it feels a little, little bit more hands-on, more interactive than the actual tankathon simulation. So if anyone else wants to steal that idea and have fun with it, uh, be my guest, go right ahead. Yeah. I mean, you're making a real lottery, right? Cause that's how they really, that's how they do it. Uh, like in the actual NHL lottery, right? They have a bunch of combinations, a bunch of numbers, uh, and yeah. you assign, you know, proportionally. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, I'm sure I'll be sure to try it out. And uh, shall we shall we go ahead with some predictions? All right. Okay. I said a couple weeks ago uh, that I didn't think a placeholder team would win just because I wanted to contradict what you said, but uh, I I never really believed that. I think that <laughs> I think here's what's going to happen: Detroit is going to end up with either the second or third pick, not the first pick, not the fourth pick, either two or three. I think that whichever pick between two or three Detroit does not have, the other one is going to belong to one of the placeholder teams. So like the second and third pick, I don't know which one it's going to be. One of them will be Detroit. One of them will be a placeholder. And the first pick, I really think it's going to go to Ottawa. That's the feeling I have. They have the uh, way bigger chance than anyone. Uh, I think it's like 25% or almost 25%. So I just have a feeling that it's going to go to them. And I don't think it's going to be a placeholder first pick. I don't think it's going to be Detroit just because, you know, more misery is in order for those fans. California, like L.A. or Anaheim, I can kind of picture that, Lafreniere going to one of those teams. But uh, you know what? I just feel like it's his destiny to torment Montreal's division for the next 20 years. Wow, okay. Um, Well, personally, when I go, I go by, you know, how fun it would be. Uh, to see Buffalo lose. I know Buffalo's probably got like one of the lower odds, but you know, to see them lose would be hilarious. So I don't have them winning. Uh, and it's with that logic. Uh, maximum chaos is what I say. And that would be San, Ho- San one of the San Jose, like San Jose, San Jose pick winning one of the lottery spots. Uh, and I think they'll win the third lottery. Uh, just because, you know, that'd be hilarious just to see that trade uh, go so bad for them, especially with Carlson really taking a turn for the worse. Yeah, I didn't I didn't specify I didn't yeah. specify which Ottawa pick uh I predicted winning number 1 because I don't really have one either second or third honestly like it doesn't really make much of a difference to me. Yeah, okay. But uh for me it does because uh <laughs> I mean I've been waiting for this to happen. Uh a traded pick win the lottery. I mean we had something close to that uh when Ottawa had their pick go to Colorado but they didn't end up winning the lottery, right? They it came fourth. Uh so Yeah, Colorado took Bowen Byram. Yeah, right. So I want Ottawa from San Jose, uh, third pick. I think the placeholder, uh, I still hold that belief very firmly that the NHL will generate some hype by, you know, somehow mysteriously having a placeholder team win the lot, one of the lotteries, and I think they're going to have the second one. Uh, and I think California is the place to be for Alex Lafreniere. Uh, some vibes. I'm getting strong Anaheim vibes uh, for this lottery. 
I think Alahan's taking the cake. I think Anaheim's getting the crown jewel. Uh, so, yeah, in summary, I've got Anaheim, placeholder, and Ottawa. Yeah, hey, Ducks, that's an interesting one. I would not be very surprised if uh, Lafreniere went to the Ducks. I feel like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I can totally picture that. Like, okay, Trevor Zegras was their first round pick last year. That would be, I'm a big Trevor Zegras fan. Lafreniere and Zegras is uh, more than a uh, great replacement for Getzlaff and Perry. Uh, Corey Perry's already gone. Ryan Getzlaff probably has doesn't have too much left in the tank. So uh, if they get Lafreniere, that's obviously a big boost for the Ducks. Big boost for any team. Uh, that's what's so exciting, I feel like, that a lot of people don't, appreciate in the week leading up to the draft lottery is like this is your last chance to to really fantasize about like what team is Lafreniere going to we don't know we don't know well different this year a placeholder could win and then that's the only thing anyone would be able to talk about for the next couple months but uh but yeah I think my point still stands yeah fair enough last chance Buffalo fans uh to imagine Lafreniere on your team because it ain't happening Uh, yeah franchise (laughs) franchise of misery over there uh yeah I mean, uh, I'm, I'm fantasizing about Montreal. Uh, I can't stop. Uh, oh, yeah, it could totally um, happen. Oh, that'd be so great. Are you kidding me? Um, uh, so, yeah. that's. you have anything else to add for our lottery other than, like, don't forget to tune in? All right. So, before we do our last thing, um, I am going to run one draft lottery with that, this little thing that I just talked about. So, I'm going to pull up random number generator. Random number. All right. Uh a range of one to a thousand. I'm going to all right. First pick, boop, boop, boop. Number seven hundred seventy-six. That is team A wins the first pick. All right. Next lottery for the second pick, four hundred twenty-one. That is Ottawa via San Jose with the second pick, Beautiful. and and third pick nine hundred and seven, which is team D. So we just had a placeholder win uh, first and third pick with Ottawa yeah. winning the second pick. So uh, there, that that's our. I guess we both had each our individual predictions, but that is uh, Fusion and Hockey Podcast's official prediction. It just it just hit me. I just realized a placeholder can actually win multiple lotteries. It they can win all three. Places. Yeah, I just it didn't it didn't occur to me that that could happen. Uh, it just hit me right now with that with that combination. Oh my god. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Okay. So I, I I had a different illusion where I was like uh, placeholders would be like one team, like it just all it's all placeholder. And it can win one lottery. But no, you're right. It's just team A, B, C, D, E. I don't know how many it is. But uh, yeah. To H. Okay. To H. Um, so, okay. That's that's good to know. You know, I wouldn't have known that going into the lottery night. Now I do. And hopefully you learned something too in the audience out there. Uh, so yeah, placeholder, multiple teams. Now that would be something else. That would be fucking something else. Um, but uh, okay. I learned something there. Um, yeah. You got anything else to add? Uh, uh, we can move on. Our segment um actually yeah, so, i just remember yeah okay never mind you, you you go on all right so we decided for this trivia segment uh we are going to get a little bit of a, a rotation going um so the rotation is going to go something like uh ty say gives me a trivia i give him a trivia and then we play a game of guess who with a team like we did several weeks ago and uh so this week is a guess who week and we decided that since for last week's uh super mega way too long quiz in which Minnesota was the only team, well, besides Vegas, but they, that was a different thing. Minnesota was the only team not brought up, so we decided to kind of make up for that by choosing the Minnesota Wild as our guess who team this week. Yes, so uh, that's that. Um, So let's get ready for another round of guess who. Uh, Do you you have any idea how many rounds you want to do today? Uh, We're we're already, how far are we in? A minute 20. I mean, sorry, hour 20. 
Uh, maybe we'll just do like one or two rounds. We'll see how we're feeling. Uh, but before we before we get started, let's just uh, tell our audience who the 25 players are that are part of this Minnesota thing. We've got Zach Parise, Jordan Greenway, Eric Stahl, Kevin Fiala, Luke Cunnan, Matt Zuccarello, Joel Eriksson-Eck, Mikko Koivu, Alex Galchenyuk, Victor Rask, Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, Ryan Donato, Nico Sturm, Ryan Suter, Jared Spurgeon, Matt Dumba, Jonas Brodin, Brad Hunt, Greg Patterson, Carson Susi, Brennan Metal, Alex Stalock, Devin Dubnik, and Capo Kakinen. And if you missed our first time doing uh, this Guess Who game, um, you can go back and listen to that one. We did the Habs. Basically, we're each randomly selecting on random.org uh, one of these players, and we alternate asking each other questions to try and figure out who the other person's player is. Yes. Okay. So let's get going. Let's jump right into it. Um, I think I'll pick first. So uh, wait, wait, wait. Um, uh, are we we're gonna we're gonna tell them who our, our players are so that they know? Yeah. All right. So uh, I'll I'll tell my player first. So tell me when you're taking off your headphones, and I'll okay. t- end for five seconds. All right. I'm taking off my headphones now for the next five seconds. My player is Joel Erickson Eck. <laughs> Okay, I am uh, coming back. All right. Uh, right. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? Instead of instead of taking on my headphones, I'm just going to uh, mute the audio. Because that's going to be a lot easier for five seconds, oh. starting okay. now. All right. Uh, we got the homie, Jordan Greenway. Let's go. Let's go. I'm back. All right. So so you wanted to ask first? Uh, yeah, sure. I'll ask first. Why not? Um, so is it a forward? Uh, yes. If there is a forward. All right, that's good to know. All right. Uh, seems like we're getting off to a little bit of a similar start than last time. I'm going to ask you the same question. Is your player a forward? Um, I do believe he is. Yes. All right. He is a forward. Okay. All right. I just got to pull up their hockey DP page. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. We're good. Okay. So let's see. Um, all right. So my question to you is, is their number higher than 25? No, their number is not higher than 25. Hey, that's that's kind of funky fresh. All right. All right. Uh, do, you, do you have the cap friendly pulled up with like the, the positions? Um, the cap, no. I'm going to do that right now. Okay. Like um, where some of them have multiple forward positions. Yes. So, yeah. So, yeah, they do. So I'm going to ask, um, do you have it pulled up yet? Um, yes, I have it pulled up. Okay. Is your player a center? Uh, my player is not a center. All right. Fun fact. Um, Fun fact about your player. Yeah, he's not a center. All right. Uh, who do I have left? A bunch of people. Um, let's see. Who's that? Um, okay. You know what? Um is your player on play right wing? My player does not play right wing. Okay, that's fascinating. Right. Um, so who does not play right wing on this team? That's like the big question. <laughs> All right, I am going to ask. Uh, hmm, is your player, um? Is your player 29 or older? Is my player 29 or older? Now, that's a funky question. My player 
is not 29 or older. All right. Uh, maybe I should have picked a different age. Eh, whatever. It's fine. Perhaps. Um, let me just check it out. Uh, I just need to, like, I said right wing last round, so that's funny. Um, all right. We got a couple of dudes. Um, where is Nico Sturm on this list? He, he's uh, on cap friendly. He's uh, not on the roster. Okay. Yeah, but he's a center. So that's good to know. Um, all right. And who's he? Who's he? Uh, okay, a bit of dead time here as we try to figure out. Okay, here we go. All right, I got four players left. All right, I got Me too. four players left. Here we go. Okay, who's all right? Uh, I'll name them. They're Stahl, Parise, Koivu, and I think it's Nico Sturm. Uh, yes, it is Nico Sturm. So, out of these four uh, dudes, I'm not sure if I should tell you that my player isn't there or not. Okay, um, maybe I need to reconsider. Let's see. Yes. Uh, maybe I canceled somebody that I didn't. I shouldn't have canceled. Let's see. Uh, oh, wait a second. Um, oh, all right. Uh, all right, and okay. It seems I've forgotten Greenway and Fiala. Uh, all right. Um, maybe even more people. My yeah, system my is players, broken. All right. Yeah, my player's still not uh, there. Okay, where? Right. You know, it's not any of those six. So we're just gonna pretend you didn't do that. Um, okay. Okay. All right. All right. We're just gonna keep going, and if I totally miss, you don't have to tell me. You know that. All right. Um, okay. If I get it wrong, I get it wrong. Okay. Because uh, I screwed up. All right. Um, yeah. Okay. And if, if so, that's on me. Uh, let's see. Yes, you're right. Uh, all right. Um, does their name start with S? Their last name start with S. Their last name does not start with S. Okay. All right. All right. Does your player's last name start with F? No. It does not. All right. Now I've got two guys left. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. Okay. Is this guy's cap hit over... $2 million. $2 million or no. higher. No, it is no. not. So $2 million. Right. Okay. Yeah, cheap neighborhood. All right. Okay. All right, I've got two guys left now, and I'm going to guess. Is your player Jordan Greenway? It is Jordan Greenway. Hey. All right. I win game that's, one. That's you win game one because I started. Okay. All right. All right. I got to gotta, gotta refresh because that was my kind guy, of a failure. Who was it? My guy was Joel Erickson Eck. Okay. All right. I, yeah, I, I did not have him on my list. So we're just going to... You didn't have him on your list? You just didn't write him down? No, no, I scratched him out at one point, and I have no idea why. Uh, but uh, Did I answer a question I mean, you didn't wrong? Like, oh, I hope not. No, 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 you didn't. I don't think you did. I just, I think I, I screwed up. All right, hmm. moving on. Round two. Hopefully I can I can get her together. All right. Uh, oh, now i got to undo. I didn't, I didn't cross them off. Okay, they're all there. All right. So, do you have a player? Uh, yes, I have a player. All right. So, are you gonna are you gonna take off your headphones now for five seconds? I will. Yes, I will. Starting now. My player is Ryan Donato. Okay, I'm back. All and right. Here we go. I am muting myself uh, right now. All right. Uh, well, we got the homie Marcus Foligno. I thought it was Nick for a second, but it's Marcus. Okay. Okay, I'm back. So, 
Uh, uh, who asked first that time? It was you, so I'll ask first this time. Um, yes. I'm going to start with... Hmm, uh, I'm trying to think of a little bit of a more fun question. Um, there's a, shooting right or left is an option, but like I feel like there are way more left shooters on this team for whatever reason. Yeah, I'll ask it anyway. Does your player shoot left? Uh, give me a second while I pull that information up. They shoot left. Yes, they do. All right. So, or now, now I got to figure out exact. I got to make sure who shoots right on the. All right, Hartman shoots right. I know that. Uh, Conan shoots right. I know that. Uh, maybe I should have saved this question for later because it's gonna take a little, a hot minute. Uh, all right, Dumba, Spurgeon, Patterin. They all shoot right. So I'll get rid of them. Uh, Dumba, Spurgeon, Patterin. Uh. And no, I'm pretty sure everyone else shoots left. So that was a pretty bad question. Oh, I got to check in the mind. Brennan Manel, which way does he shoot? Uh, shoots right. Oh, he, shoot, he shoots right. So I'll get rid of him too. Uh, that's nice. So, uh, hmm. Oh, do I have to check if the goalies catch one way? No. Uh, eh, I'll just ignore that for now. Okay, your turn. Okay. Um, you know, I need, to, I need to go back to my uh, basic questions. I'm not as spicy as, as that one was. Uh, although I did game prepared, I do have a list of who shoots what side. Um, That's pretty smart. But I will ask, are they a forward? Uh, my player is a forward. Okay. So, goodbye defenseman, and I don't have to worry about goalies handedness. I'm going to ask, uh, was your player drafted by the Minnesota Wild? They were not drafted by the Minnesota Wild. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm trying to this game. I'm trying a different strategy, even though I won last time. I'm going for these questions that if they hit, then I narrow it down big immediately. But if they don't hit, then I'm left with like a big bunch of players because most of the guys on this list were not drafted by Minnesota. So yeah, okay. it didn't really work okay. out. All right. Um, maybe I'll do the same. Actually, um, let's go. Do they shoot right-handed? Uh, my player does not shoot right. My player shoots left. Very unfortunate because that only eliminates two players for me. Yeah, uh, so nice try. It was either going to be Kunin or Kunin or Hartman, uh, but it's yeah. neither of those. Unfortunate. Uh, all right. Uh, let me look at these players. Try to find uh, hmm, some fun thing. Uh, was your player born in Europe? That's a whack ass question. Um, he Not was really. Uh, he was not born in Europe. Of course not. Of course not. Okay, who was born in Europe? So it's not Kevin Fiala. It's not Matt Zuccarello. Uh, where was Nico Sturm born? I'm going to check that out. Uh, not sure, actually. Here, Nico Sturm, born in Augsburg, Germany. So it's not Nico Sturm. Uh, where is Victor Rask from, like, Sweden or something? Yeah, he is from Lexand. All right, so it's not Victor Rask. And it's not Nico Sturm. So I've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten players left. Going pretty, chugging along pretty slowly here. All right, all right, all right. Um, huh. I wonder. Okay. Let's see. Okay. Um, thinking about either copying a question or going with like the United States. Yeah. Is your player an American? My player is an American. That's that's a spicy one. All right, so we can scratch off Sturm, Rask, Koivu, 
Tikurello, Fiala, and now I just gotta do like some independent research on everybody else. Um, okay, let's see where Stalls from. Anyway, it's, it's your turn. Okay, Stalls from Canada. Yeah. So All right, time for the simple right. question. Uh, is your player a forward? Uh, my player is a forward. All right, down to five now. Yes. Where's Joel Erickson from? That's my question. Uh, let's see. Elite prospects. This man is He's Swedish. Swedish. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm down to one, two, three, four, five players. Oh, and me too. That's oh boy. Uh, so does your player start? Wait, let me just check it out. Um, hmm, what do these players have in common? Uh, does their name start with a G? My last player's name. name, my player's last name does not start with a G. Okay, so there goes... Who does that rule out for you? That rules out, like, Galchenyuk and Greenway? Yeah, beloved ex have Alex Galchenyuk. All right, so now you got three guys... Line. Yeah, he would remember I in the forgot. Jason Zucker trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just totally forgot about that. Okay. Alright. So you have three players left now, right? Three players left. And I went first. So that means that alright, so if I don't get it this turn, you can guess and you probably won't get it right. So hmm. But you're gonna guess for sure, so what should I try to do? I'm trying to think if I should just take a, a total shot in the dark now with these five guys. I feel like that's a bad strategy though. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. Does your players last name end with a vowel wow yes it does ah okay because actually three of the guys who i've left their last names do start with a vowel and two of them don't so I'm hoping for the other answer but uh end or end with a vowel end with a vowel okay good all right yeah okay my player does end with a vowel all right here we go for the win to tie the series is your player Marcus Foligno. My player is not Marcus Foligno. It's not Marcus Foligno. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you have two guys left now. Yeah, I have two guys left. All right. I'm at three, and I'm I'm guessing now. This is this is uh wait not for the win though because I went first, so you could still tie if I get it here. Um, yeah. is your player Zach Parise? No, it's not. Okay. Oh boy. I get another shot at the win. Wow, this is this is wild. All right. It's intense. 50-50. Parise or Donato? Um, you know what? We're going to go with a gut feeling. I initially wanted to go with Donato at the beginning last round, and then I convinced myself otherwise. Uh, and I've done it again. So, Zach Parise. Is your player Zach Parise? My player is not Zach Parise. I keep talking myself out of the right answer. That's very unfortunate. Yeah. All right. All right. So, you're guaranteed at least a tie, though. And so now I have to get this right to get the tie. And if not, then you win. Um, and we ended up, funnily enough, with actually we had the same three players at the end. Parise, Felino, and Donato. Uh, right. And you know mine now, who mine is. And I've got Felino and Donato ne- left. So I'm going to wonder, do we have the same player or not? And I'm going to go with, uh, uh, with, with not. So I'm going to guess, is your player Marcus Felino? Oh, my God. Yes, it is. Hey. Heck. Ah, right. So your player is Logan Donato. Brian Donato. God, Brian Donato. Why did I say Logan Donato? Anyways, yeah. Ryan Donato. <laughs> Shout out to him. Um, wow. I really talked him out. I talked, I talked myself out of Donato twice in a row. 
That's very wow. unfortunate. Why would you do that? I don't know. He didn't give me correct vibes, but I guess he did. But I just like, <laughs> okay. The moral of the story is to follow your heart, because um, yep. otherwise you'll find yourself with Zach Parise and the wrong answer. All right. All right. Do you want to call so it a, we, call it an episode there, or are you are you yearning for right. another opportunity to win? You know, I think just today is just not my day. Um, with the big L from the first round and where I blew a big lead in the second round. I think we should call it. I think we should end my misery. All right. Uh, so that's it for this episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast. Uh, happy summer, everyone, and happy draft lottery week, I guess. It was a pretty loaded episode. We jumped around quite a bit, different kinds of things. Um, and, yeah, I guess I guess oh. that's it. Oh, you know what? Oh, yeah, do you want to say something? Yeah, I want to shout out the guy uh, who spent fucking $135,811 on a Connor McDavid hockey card. <laughs> um, because I guess we really are going co- crazy during the quarantine because to spend that much money on a piece of paper on a player who has many, many pictures taken of him and will have many, many pictures of him taken <laughs> playing hockey, um, spending that much money on a, on, on, on a hockey card is frankly just insane. And so I just wanted to shout out that guy. Yep. Uh, all right. Maybe it'll be worth even more one day. Wouldn't surprise me, honestly. Uh, well, on that note, uh, take care, everyone. See you next week. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sandborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today.